The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Am I on? Wonderful. I hate to be off. I want us to turn on the word tonight. I got some things I want to say. Um, and there's some things I want to share near the end of this tonight. We are not going to be long in the preach. I want to get my hands on you suddenly and uh, pray for you. Glory to God. Somebody say amen. amen. It's good to get prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. I want us to turn, if we would please, to our, my text tonight found on Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Just a little uh, softer, sis. Thank you. You have been so amazing. You just play. I'm, I'm sure she doesn't have hands at the end of the meeting. I think she's numb from the wrist down. And uh, what I think the first time she played, the first night, you stood all night, didn't you? No chair, so I'm glad she's at least got that. And I was, it's remiss of me because I didn't even supply Starbucks for her, which is not good. I want to minister tonight because we've been dealing with season change. And we've been talking about transition. And I believe it's been specific what I've said for the church. But I also believe because Kathy said to me on the phone, because I talked to her about twice a day. Uh, she said, where do you feel America is? I said, honestly, uh, and, and I, I can read it relatively well after being connected here for 24 years. I said, I believe America is in a place of major transition on many fronts. I believe spiritually, but I believe as a country. And, and it's amazing how God picked, and I believe it's God for the Democrats here, you will hate this. Um, but then I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, but at least I can have an opinion, right? <laughs> Glory to God. And uh, put those guns away. I said, put those guns away. Hey. And so, but isn't it amazing how, how I believe God rescued America? This is only in my opinion. God rescued America by, by getting the most flawed person you could ever, ever believe and put him into power. And, and one of the most arrogant things, and I'm really stepping on toes now. One of the most arrogant things Obama said in Australia uh, recently at, a, at, a, at an exclusive meeting there, I wish there was something, I forget what he said, something like a million Obamas and Michelles. I mean, how arrogant can you get and still breathe, right? It was, for me, it was enough for one, let alone a million of them running around. Glory to God. So Trump, with all his affairs and all his stuff, a disastrous uh, life, but yet God, God has used him to bring a shift to America. But, but if God brings a shift to America, that means He's going to bring a shift to our life. And so there is a lot of shifting, a lot of shaking, and a lot of rolling going on right now, and it's very unpleasant. We feel it in the church, we feel it as individuals, and we're feeling it in the world today. My country is being shaken. 
And the Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we shouldn't be surprised when we see what was prophesied in the Scripture many, 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 many years, 2,000 years ago of what was going to happen. We shouldn't be surprised when we see happen, happen. We are in a shaking. We are in a transition. I speak to pastors all the time. Pastors are in transition. Pastors going through conflict that they've never had to face before, out externally and internally. But it's part of the course. And what makes it difficult for me, I've got to minister on this stuff, but I'm also in transition. I'm also at a crossroads in my life. And I don't know what's going to happen. I have no real idea at this particular point in time what I'm going to be doing. Glory to God. It's kind of exciting, really, to be in no man's land and not really know what's ahead of you. So it's me preaching on this. I mean, I'm not, I've got to be like everybody else. If everybody else is in transition, then I, I'm surely in transition. Now, hands up those who believe they're in transition. You're at a real crossroads in your life, see. And the thing is, if you don't embrace that and believe God to take you into the next season, you become a stagnant pool, right? And your life stinks. Because stagnant stinks. A fl fast-flowing river is a river that is pleasant. All right, so if you're looking for a title tonight, it's called Know Your Enemy. Know Your Enemy. Seasons have enemies. I don't want to be long on this tonight, but seasons have enemies because I really want to get down to something that Pastor and I discussed before coming here. Blessed and happy and enviable, fortunate and spiritually prosperous in the state in which the born-again child of God enjoys and finds satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of his outward condition are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for being and doing right, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed. I'm trying to get rid of all the amplified parts here, and I'm trying to read it and cut it. Thank God I didn't prophesy in the amplified. Blessed with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of your outward convictions, are you when people revile you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Be glad and supremely joyful, for your reward in heaven is great, strong, and intense. For in the same way people persecuted the prophets who were before you. So now God, and I, I want to set the stage. God says when you're persecuted and reviled, you're blessed. So our God's definition of being blessed and the way the televangelists will tell you what's blessed, uh, to me, poles apart. He says if you're persecuted and reviled for my name, you are indeed a blessed person. See, it doesn't matter what happens to you. As we discussed last night, the posture is you are blessed in spite of your circumstances and your condition. You can't see blessed as being a condition. 
You must always see it as a position. It is your place of authority for the goodness of God to come and work on your behalf. You must learn to trust the goodness of God in all things. We live in a bad world, and that's why God sends His goodness. That's why 2 Timothy said, in the last days, there will be haters of good. Haters of good. Because good is so powerful, the enemy has sent demons with assignments to destroy good. Right? I mean, good is so powerful that it can take an evil man, change his heart, and cause him to repent, be taken out of the clutches of Satan and into the kingdom of God. That's, that's why demons are assigned to be haters of good, to destroy the goodness of God in the earth. That's why we need a revelation of the goodness of God to be able to fight evil. You must always see God as good. Listen, just because you don't understand where you are right now does not mean God's a bad God. It just simply means you don't understand where you are right now. And just because you don't understand where you are right now doesn't make God mean and not caring or compassionate. You must trust the goodness of God. And one way to link with the goodness of God is releasing gratitude from your heart for everything that God has given you now. I thank God every time I wake up in the morning, for God's sake. Glory to God. And I already slept well last night. Preston gave me a gift. He gave me one of those things you put over the eyes. You know, they knock out all the thing. But it looks, it's rather gaudy. He gave me, uh, it's purple for God's sake. And I, I didn't leave it on the side of my bed for housekeeping because it looks like I've, I've got a, 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 a gaudy colored thong sitting by, the, <laughs> sitting by the bed. That's what it looked like, mate. I looked at it and thought, oh God, I'm going to hide that. But only Preston could give me something like that so gaudy. But it worked and I slept great. I was up at 5.30 this morning. I felt really good. And I think it's because I couldn't see anything. You know when you wake up in the night and the light comes and everything else? Now they're trying to get me saved on earplugs. I mean, I mean, I don't want to lose my whole life. <laughs> Glory to God. Let's kill him and he can go to sleep. <laughs> Wonderful Jesus. So I want you to write this down. In the journey of life, many times we don't understand that an enemy is just as important as a friend. If you don't know the purpose of an enemy, you're also more likely to be conquered by your enemy. The Bible makes it clear the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshy people, but they are mighty through God. The Bible also says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. And we find that illustrated in the demonstration with Peter. When Jesus asked Peter, he says this to Peter, who do men say that I am? What a different spirit that we have when Jesus asked that question, who do men say that I am? The spirit of ministry today is they will tell you who they are by their bios. Even the Son of God said, who do men say that I am? 
We've got the arrogancy of men today that will write their own history and, and, give, and tell you how wonderful they are by their bios. But Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter responds, you're the Christ. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Peter, for you didn't hear this from people, you heard this from God. In other words, Peter, you just become a window of heaven. Heaven just leapt in through you and got into the earth realm. So Peter became a, a window of revelation. The thing that changes our life in God is by tapping into the revelation of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. The only way we can have on earth as it is in heaven is by revelation. God opening heaven, us being sensitive to it and bringing that down to earth. We are responsible, write this down, we are responsible to be windows. We are the access to heaven to those that don't have it. They see Christ firstly in you and me. So we need to be careful what kind of ambassadors we are, especially in the ministry. So now Jesus then, after this, in the same conversation, Jesus begins to tell them about what was going to happen to him. He said, I'm going to be persecuted. Not only that, I'm going to die and I'm going to leave you. Now, you've got to understand this, that the, the Jesus campaign was huge. Jesus crusades all through the region, multitudes. The finance was so plentiful that they, that they had an accountant called Judas. And he ran the joint. Right? It was massive. The Bible describes the crowds that Jesus engaged were throngs, throngs of people clamoring to get to him, wanting needs met solutions. So he begins to tell them, here the disciples gave up their businesses, they gave up everything and followed Jesus for three years. He sits them down for a ministry luncheon. He said, guess what, guys? I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave. Peter now stands up and says, never, Lord, I will never let that happen to you. Then Jesus in the same conversation says, get there behind me, Satan. So why did he say that? Because Satan was behind what Peter said, but a person manifested it. So it's a struggle. In the earth you will not struggle with things, but you will definitely struggle with people. Just like people can be windows of heaven, they can be also the gates of hell. And here's the question. What are you? Are you a window to heaven or are you a gate of hell? In one moment, Peter was doing a holy thing and the next minute he was doing a carnal thing. He let heaven in, but he also... Let hell get in. And it's kind of like we come to a meeting and we rejoice and praise God and we're loving everybody and then we go to the restaurant after the meeting, right, and the waitress spills coffee in our lap and all of a sudden, instead of being a window of heaven, we become a gate of hell. 
one of the things I've endeavored to do right through America is bless waitresses. I really pity them because they're on junk wages, right? I bless them with a tip. I, I never shortchange a waitress ever. And if they're a bad waitress, I begin to sow seeds that they're a great waitress. And I see them come up because what an awful job because you must get abused a lot especially if the cook at the back is really bad and you have to handle the people at the front. Just because you get bad food, don't you take it out on the waitress. If you need to talk to anybody, go out the back and talk to the cook. Hey, cook! Don't take it out on the waitress. I remember one time I was in New Zealand and I was in this restaurant, Lake Taupo, great I mean, it was right on this lake with Alps and snow on the snow caps. Beautiful, beautiful place, having a meal. And this waitress was really cantankerous, an angry woman. Obviously had some problems. And the problem was she was giving me some problems because I don't like being badly treated like that. And I thought, okay. And the restaurant was full of people. And I said to the, uh, I, I had a pastor with me, and I said, I want you to watch a dynamic that's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. He said, what are you going to do? I said, because he thought I was going to ball her out, right? And I said, I want you to watch this. So I said, madam, come over here. She said, yeah, what do you want? Glory to God. Okay, baby, let's rock. And I said, look, I, I've got something to say to you. And she's waiting for the abuse. I said, I've got something to say to you. I think you're the most awesome waitress I've had in New Zealand. And I said, I, I really appreciate you. I'm coming back to this restaurant for sure. I just want to thank you, and I'm going to reflect that in a tip. Right, because they don't tip over there. They're like Australians, mean as, mean as snakes. And so uh, I said, I, I'm going to bless you. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden she goes, like this. And anything else I can do for you? And, and before it was, you know, I mean, and, 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 and she'd, she'd run off and, and, and go in and pick something up and come back to me. And her whole demeanor has changed. And, and, and all the other people are, are getting blessed as well because now she's improved. Her attitude has improved. She's smiling all around the, the thing. And I yelled at her. I, I was in one part of the restaurant and I said, hey, is your boss here, honey? And she said, he's over there and pointed to him. I said, when are you going to give her a raise? This is the best thing that's ever happened to the restaurant. And the restaurant applauded. <laughs> and I said, that's how you change an atmosphere. Honor will always change an atmosphere. Respect of one another will always change an atmosphere. Instead of browbeating your wife, Honor your wife. Honor will get more out of your wife than speaking down to her. She's not your doormat, mate. She's your wife. And you love her. And neither is your husband your doormat. If we just learn to give and live and compromise with one another, the one thing that most men don't like is a nagging woman. I mean, we always talk about what the man, what the woman doesn't like. But men do not like 
And men don't like to, see, men hear you the first time. No, 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 seriously. We do hear you the first time, but we brace ourselves because we know we're going to hear it a hundred times. Glory to God. My Jesus. I tell Kathy, I hear you once. Hallelujah. Because we always hear about, you know, the man, the man, the man. But, you know, we've got issues. And, and, and women love to talk a lot. And words and words are big in a, in a woman's life. And that's wonderful. But men grunt. Men, like, we don't talk much. I mean, if I come in today and Kathy says, how did you go today? Good. All right. Who did you see? People. What did you do? Stuff. That's how we talk. It's like, uh, ah, e, ooh, right? But if, I, if Kathy comes on and says, what did you do today? I get an epistle. She tells me everything, who she met, what she brought, what she took back to the shop. I get the whole nine yards. And I think, God, love her. Hallelujah. But I, you know, you get scared to ask, how's your day going? Because you're going to get the whole day. Aren't we different though? And God puts us together. And you know, when we say I do, it's, for, it's a life sentence, isn't it? Like it's for life. Glory to God. It's like, you know, when, you get, when women get to menopause, they tell you the change of life is coming, but they don't tell you what you're going to change into. <laughs> Glory to God. Come on, church. They don't tell you. And then, you know, the husband doesn't understand. So the change of life comes. All of a sudden, who he married changes. And then we say things like this. Are there any drugs for this? Glory to God. Yeah, I do. I do the offering first. Glory to God. So we are so different. But men have menopause. We have menopause. Men have, see, women have menopause, but we have menopause. Menopause is when we, when we see stuff falling off us, <laughs> like hair. Glory to, we start losing things we used to have in youth, and then we want to regain our youth. So we change our hairstyle, which is ridiculous, and try to look like a 20-year-old, and we, we sell the truck and buy a sports car, and we try to look cool, and we're and wear tight jeans. Glory to God. We're all quite crazy, really, aren't we? And then these two people that are going to evolve into different things, we walk up a Nile and say, I do. Glory to God. Don't you love Jesus? Aren't you glad we're different? Glory to God. When people attack you, it's not really them. It's the enemy using them to try and sabotage and abort your future. The enemy is after what you see. If you are a visionary, the attack on you is going to be fierce. People will come at you. They'll misunderstand you. If they don't know your heart, they'll misunderstand you. 
One of the things ministry face a lot, pastors, is misunderstanding. Because most pastors I talk to are genuine, genuine and genuinely in love with their congregations. God never promised you a flawless ministry. If you want to know my flaws, talk to Kathy. Hallelujah. So there are four things about your enemy that you need to know. And we're talking about transition and we're talking about season change. Number one, your enemy announces your future is about to be born. Your enemy announces your future is about to be born. Your enemy is an announcement that God has totally and completely used up everything he can in your present season. And whenever God transitions you from one season to another, he often assigns an enemy to be your exit from one season and your entrance into another. If you don't like fighting, you should never have become a Christian. We have to have a stomach for warfare. You have to enjoy the scrap, the fight. It's part and parcel of who we are. But I want you to write a PS to that. It's not always good to be always fighting. Because the Bible says, he leads me beside still waters. You, you must have still waters in your life. You've got to have rest in your life. You rest so that you can go back and fight with enthusiasm. But if you're always fighting and never having rest, rest is good, but not too long. And there are rests that are good and there are rests that, that's bad. The Bible says when the, in the time where kings go out to battle, David stayed home when he should have been out fighting. And because he stayed home and not fought, he got into all kinds of strife with Bathsheba, committed murder, and lost his son. So there was a time to rest and there's a time to fight. Hallelujah. When I go home to Australia, I go home to Australia in about three weeks, right? I will rest, not physically, but I will rest my mind and I'll rest my spirit. And what I want to do is sit by the pools of living water and just refresh my spirit because I'm on the front line and I'm fighting things. Every meeting I'm in, I am fighting something. You don't see it, but I see it. Here's an example, and I, I shared this last night. Is Israel exited Egypt, they had to go through Pharaoh to do it. Pharaoh was assigned to them to be an enemy that God could subdue so that God could pay them back in one day for 400 years of work. He's so frustrated with Pharaoh by softening his heart, hardening his heart, softening his heart, hardening his heart, that in the end he got exasperated, gave, paid Israel for 400 years of work in slavery and got rid of them. David was promoted from shepherd boy to kingship through an enemy called Goliath. When an enemy arises in your life, it's an announcement that the next stage is about to be born. And the enemy manifests himself in people. I want you to write this down because you need to understand this. People will frustrate you. 
they'll lie about you. They will rise up against you. They will oppose you. They will attack you on social media. They will conspire against you. It's not them. It's the, it's the spirit behind them using them. Whenever you get attacked by people, write this down. Don't take it personally. You can't take it personally. They may be personal, but don't you take it personal. And the reason why the enemy is attacking you through them is because of what you see. It's the vision that you've got. It's the call of God that you've got in your life. The devil's always after vision. Hallelujah. But in Isaiah 54, 17, it says, God will condemn the tongue against you, not you. All you have to do is succeed. There is nothing like success to silence your critics. When you get attacked, keep up with the vision. Keep confessing the vision that God has placed over your life. The more the attack, the more you confess your vision. And run after your vision. You getting something out of this tonight? Success is your greatest weapon. Just succeed. Just do well on God. Just obey the will of God in your life. Do not argue with your enemy. Just go ahead with your assignment. But in the climate today of ease and there is no hardship and that the blessing is defined by the things you have, we need to get some, some perspective on what it means to be a Christian. And so what Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 5, he tells you this. He says, when you are persecuted and you are reviled for my sake, then are you blessed which means persecution does not affect the posture of blessing. What I love about God is that no matter what comes against us, we've always got a way out. Because what God does, He fights. God fights the enemy in your life with His goodness. He fights it with goodness. And that's why there's haters of good, because good is so powerful. That's why I could go into a restaurant Release the goodness of God and, and, and change an entire atmosphere by goodness. And sometimes as married couples, we do have bad days for whatever reason, right? But, but if we have a desire for peace, the rhythm of peace in our homes will work on the things See, my wife and I very quickly now abort conflict when we have conflict. And I do it. I'll just go hop in my truck and go get a coffee. I'd, I'd rather do that than have a stupid conflict because most conflicts between married couples is over rubbish. It's the little foxes that destroy the vine. It's never the big stuff. We, most of us can handle the big stuff with each other but it's those niggly little things that get on our nerves. And you can't be married to someone for 30, 40 years and, and you know, not, things not get on your nerves. Like Kathy will say to me, 
you going out today? And I say, why? I think you should go out today. (laughs) Glory to God. Okay, I'm going. Good. And then I come back, she's in a better frame of mind. Now I'm angry because she sent me out like a little boy. She said, what did you do? I said, I drove around for hours because I had nothing to do. Glory to God. Isn't complicated? Relationships are complicated. Number two, and we're going to almost finish up here. Your enemy is someone who increases a weakness in your life. I'll say it again. Your enemy is someone who increases a weakness in your life. What do I mean by that? We are fed by our associations. What you connect with feeds into your life. That's why when you get saved, one of the first things God does is change your friends. You're never going to be attacked in the area of your strength. But your weaknesses have a bullseye on it. Write this down. Your weakness has a desire. It will seek out the people who let it exist. You can be a man with a certain type of weakness that will seek out a certain type of woman. A dominant weakness has a desire with it. And it will try you to get you to seek out the people that can feed it. If you have a substance abuse weakness, that desire knows the number on your cell phone speed dial. The dominant weakness desires to stay alive. And listen to this. It wants you to pursue people that feed it, but wants you to pull away from the people that won't justify it. So friendships and connections are everything. If someone is detrimental to your vision and to your destiny, leave them. Just leave them. God will give you new friends. I'd rather be lonely and go to to heaven than have lots of friends and go to hell. Give me five more minutes. Yeah? You okay? The menopause thing didn't offend you? I don't want to offend you by talking about menopause. Like a rock wheeler with lipstick. Oh, I said it again. I shouldn't have said that. All right. Do you love Jesus? The changes of life. Write this down. A weakness that's ignored is a weakness that can destroy you. The Bible says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from from unrighteousness. Don't ignore it, confess it, then God can deal with it. But all weakness is not necessarily sin. Some people have a lot of dreams and no discipline. That's a weakness, not a sin. Because faith without works is dead. There are people that are good people but don't know when to stop talking. That's a weakness, not a sin. There are people who have no self-control, no discipline. That is a weakness but not necessarily a sin. David had a dominant weakness because 
and his son Solomon had a dominant weakness, and it was a woman. David struggled most of his life to get a grip on that weakness, yet he was a man after God's own heart. If you don't kill your dominant weakness, it increases in the next generation. Solomon, his son, listen to this, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That is, oh yeah, oh, what a great throwaway line that was. 700 menopausal women and 300 concubines. That boy had some moral problems. But it manifested in the next generation. You deal with your weakness now so that it doesn't perpetuate in your children. Deal with stuff. Just deal with stuff. Peter had a weakness. And his weakness was a dangerous one. Because he was totally subject to the opinion of others. Peter became like the group that he was in. And they are the most dangerous to be around. When he was with his disciples, he said to God, I am with you, Lord. I won't let them kill you because he wanted the respect of his peers. But when Peter got out of the Last Supper, got into the courtyard, and they asked him if he knew Jesus, he cussed and said he never knew him. He became like the group. And when you're this kind of person, you have no core, no inner strength. And lastly, your weakness does not have to be confessed publicly. Your weakness can be confessed privately to somebody. I said this to Preston. I said, you know, when we confess our faults one to another, basically what we're doing, we're actually laying down a sword in front of that person. So if I confess my faults to Preston, I actually get a sword, my sword, and I lay it at the feet of, of Preston. And he's got a choice now. When I share something really personal... I lay my sword at his feet. He either can leave it there or he can pick my sword up and harm me with the information that I gave him. I carry the secrets of many men in my heart. And the reason why I've got many secrets of men in my heart is because men and women can trust me. Hallelujah. And we are all on the journey of life. All of us, including me, including Preston and Ash, we are all on the journey of life and we're all learning this journey. We're, we're embracing, we're embarking on a journey that none of us have ever done before. Every day is a new day. And I, I love God because He sends ministry into our life to help us and to minister to us in the name of Jesus. What a great God we serve. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.